And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. If you're listening to my show, you're looking for tips on how to work smarter, not harder. And let's be real, you're already working hard to earn your money, but how do you make sure that your money is working hard for you? Here's how. With a Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app, your money will go to work. They've got technology that will provide you with advanced tools, and they're built to help maximize your returns, not to mention your time. They have expert-built portfolios of low-cost exchange-traded funds. You know I love those exchange-traded funds. There's automated investing technology, and as part of that, automated rebalancing. Many of you have been asking about rebalancing, and it sort of feels like a hard thing to do on your own. With Betterment, easy peasy. They do it for you. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, Performance is not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. With Fidelity Wealth Management, a dedicated advisor can work with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential. Plus, you'll have access to specialists in estate planning strategies. So you're not just growing and protecting your wealth, you're sharing it. More at fidelity.com slash wealth. Investment minimums apply. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Welcome to the Jill on Money Show. It's Saturday, February 19th. And today we have a return guest. It is author Daniel H. Pink. He is the author of uh, a number of books. The one that he was on most recently was When. That was the book that he joined us for. Today, we are talking about his newest missive. It's called The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. So here is the first part of our interview with Dan Pink. I love the book, The Power of Regret. What made you write this book? You know, I was dealing with some regrets of my own. Um, you know, I suddenly looked up and realized that I had some mileage behind me, which is kind of shocking. Um, and then I also realized that, hey, I have some mileage ahead of me. So how do I make that the rest of the journey valuable? And how do I look backward in order to move forward? What's more is that, I, you know, I had this moment in my life where my elder daughter graduated from college. And that just made me start thinking about, oh, my God. Like, what was my college experience like and what's happened? You know, how has time moved so fast? And as I started thinking about this stuff, I, I realized I had regrets. And what was interesting, and you know this as a journalist, is that when I mentioned it to people, they leaned in. They really wanted to talk about it. And that's a that's a good sign. It was it was a topic that I felt that people deeply wanted to discuss, but were resistant to doing so. And what is it about regret that you think is sort of the the interesting motivation here, meaning that you say, you start the book off talking about people who get tattoos like No Regrets right. or Edith Piaf, I Have No Regrets, whatever. And uh, if I just may quote you, the world view makes intuitive sense, it seems right, and you say it's dead wrong, and you basically yeah. say that it's total BS. Why is it BS? The reason is this, two reasons. Number one, the, the, the philosophy of no regrets is complete nonsense. Everybody has regrets, Jill. I mean, truly, every human being has regrets. The only people who don't have regrets are five-year-olds because their brains haven't developed enough to do the incredible cognitive dexterity that is regret requires. Uh, people with brain damage and sociopaths. Everybody else has regrets. Regrets make us human. They are one of the most common emotions that human beings experience. And you have to wonder, huh, this thing that hurts a little bit is ubiquitous. Why? 
And you, you say, and, and the, the answer to that question is, is obvious. It's that regret is useful. It clarifies, it teaches us, it instructs us. And we've been sort of sold a bill of goods. We think that saying no regrets, I have no regrets. I never look backward is somehow a sign of courage. It's totally false courage. Uh, what's courage is looking at, looking at your regrets in the eye and doing something about them. And also, as you point out, that you, you do something about it, but you don't stay there. In other words, exactly. You, I think that that's the hook for me that was really interesting in, in the book in that, you know, I can look back at a zillion things. I have so many regrets, believe me. I find for myself, the trick is not to stay in that place that's so negative and like, well, why did I do that? And and yeah. not to ruminate. You say that negative emotions are essential. So let's talk a little bit about how you can look at regret and first identify it, but not wallow in it. Well, you've got that exactly right. And and this is the key is that we're not taught how to deal with negative emotions. You know what? So what so what happens is, is that we're, we 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 feel like if we experience a negative emotion, particularly a negative emotion like regret. Oh, my God, there's some kind of debility. There's something wrong with me there. Something's gone awry because everybody else is so positive and I'm supposed to be so positive. And so our tendency sometimes is to ignore it, which is a bad idea. But exactly as you say, I mean, this is incredibly important. If you wallow in it, that's in some ways worse. Mm. And so what we have to do is we have to, and no one ever teaches us this. And so what happens is that some of us ignore our negative emotions. And then when those, they become so overwhelming, we end up wallowing in them and ruminating over them. What we need to do is we need to think about them. And, and there is a systematic way to confront all kinds of negative emotions, but there's a particularly systematic way to deal with this most common negative emotion that we have, which is regret. Can you talk a little bit about the if only at least counterfactual? Sure. We humans are incredible. Like our brains are incredible. We do things that are just breathtaking. And so when you think about counterfactual thinking in general, it's kind of amazing. We can imagine worlds that run counter to the facts. And we can even do it by getting in a time machine and going backward. And so that's what regret is. We get in a time machine, we go backward in time, we change what really happened, then we zoom back to the present and look at this suddenly reconfigured world because of the changes we've done in the past. This, I mean, it, it's very hard to imagine like raccoons or squirrels doing something like this. Five-year-olds can't do this kind of thing. There are two kinds of counterfactual thinking. So you can, I'll give you an, I'll give you an Olympic example because it's a really good timely example right now. There's some interesting research showing that when you look at the photo photographs of people, of Olympians on the medal platform, that gold medalists are psyched. They look so happy, understandably. But bronze medalists are also really psyched, but silver medalists are not. And so why is that? Silver medalists outperform the bronze medalists. What's going on? Well, what's going on is counterfactual. So the bronze medalist says, Ugh, at least I didn't finish fourth. At least I wasn't like that guy who didn't get any kind of medal. So I'm really happy. They do what's called a downward counterfactual. They imagine how things could have turned out worse. Silver medalists are kind of agonized because they say, ah, oh, if only I had you know, done one more rotation, if only I had pedaled a little bit harder, I'd have been a gold medalist. They do what's called an upward counterfactual. And here's what we know. Downward counterfactuals at least make us feel better. Upward counterfactuals make us feel worse, but, and here's a dear little secret, they help us do better. Um, and this is, and, and regret is the ultimate upward counterfactual, the ultimate if only. It makes us feel a little bad, but it helps us do better. And the reason it helps us do better is because it makes us feel bad. 
Oh, wait a minute. Let's go into that a little bit. It makes us feel bad. And so then what? So then we don't want to do that again? Or like it's, wh- well, what if happens we're, next? If we're, if we're open to the if we're open to the signal. All right. So uh-huh. so what happens is it creates some it creates some confusion. It creates like, oh my God, what do I I gotta well, how do I how do I get rid of this bad feeling? One way to get rid of the bad feeling is just to ignore it. That's a bad idea. The other side of it is I'll give you an, let, let's get concrete here. So you look at so, a lot of research on negotiation. And one of the things that the research on negotiation shows is that let's say you have a negotiate, you do a negotiation and let's say you either you make a, a bad first offer or you accept something too early. If you actually consciously say, OK, I'm going to look at that. I'm going to basically look at the game tape of that that negotiation. And when people say, OK, I'm going to actually consciously what did I regret in that that negotiation? I'm going to consciously think about that and make myself feel bad by by experiencing regret. What the research tells us is that the next negotiation you do, you do a lot better. The same mm. thing is true with problem solving. The same thing is true with certain kinds of st- strategic thinking. Thing about regret that makes it so powerful is that it's a teacher. It instructs us, but it instructs us not necessarily in a gentle way. It provokes us. It prods us. It makes us feel bad. And if we're open to listening to that signal, saying, oh, my God, that feel, that felt crappy. What's this telling me? If we're open to that, then it inexorably makes us do better. And here's the thing. You know, you think about these if onlys and at least. We'd have many more if onlys in our life than we have at least. When you record people's lived experiences and, and, and literally count their emotions, we are much more likely to experience an if only than an at least. So what's going on here? Like, what, So we're systematically trying to make ourselves feel bad? Well, kind of, but what we're really trying to do is that we are human, we are people programmed for survival, and regret can make us better. And if we're willing to, exactly to your earlier point, not to ignore our regrets, not to wallow in them, but to answer the knock at the door and see what they're telling us, they are one of the most powerful tools we have for making better decisions, solving problems faster, even finding greater meaning. I just love that. I mean, it's very funny because uh, my my neighbor gave me the Brene Brown Atlas of the Heart book for sure. the holidays. And so I think it's an interesting companion for your book as well in that you're basically saying, don't dodge these emotions. I mean, you want to actually label it. You want to understand it and you want to use it. And what I think is interesting is that that you actually almost you're putting these emotions through a flow chart, which I oh. loved so much. I, yeah. mean, I love I love myself a little flow chart. Can you talk a little bit about why you use that device to help yeah. people get through their emotional confronting their emotions? Yeah, I mean that's a, I mean that's a really good way to put it, and and I think it's because we haven't been taught how to deal with that, Jill. Like, you know, we, we basically have been fed this 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 bill of goods that we should be endlessly positive all the time. And this is not that's not how human beings are wired. And that's, that's not even healthy. What we haven't been taught is how to deal with these negative emotions. And I think it's relatively straightforward. We have to think about, you know, it's like basically, I mean, at a, at a high level, what are negative feelings for? Negative feelings are not for ignoring. They're not for wallowing. They're for thinking. And, and I feel like there's a relatively simple, straightforward way to deal with our regrets. It begins with something called self-compassion. When we talk to ourselves, uh, especially in the face of our missteps or mistakes, we're brutal. We're cruel. I would never talk to any other human being the way I sometimes talk to myself. And that's a bad idea. What we should do instead is treat ourselves with with kindness rather than contempt Mm. and recognize that our missteps, our mistakes, 
are part of the human condition. We're not that special. You know, I was I was really bothered by some of my my regrets about kindness, and they really bugged me. And then I started collecting these regrets from around the world, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm so not special. You know, like you know, it's like it's like part of the human condition. And so, so, so what we need to do is we need to essentially treat ourselves with kindness, recognize that our missteps are part of the human condition, uh, and that recognize that they're, they're a moment in our lives, not fully a definition, not, not the full definition of our lives. You also actually go through um, some years and, and give some studies about regrets. Now, how have regrets evolved over, let's just I mean, we don't have to go back to, you know, the 40s, but, you know, in the near term, like in the past 10, 20 years, what are the regrets? How have they shifted in your mind? Well, I mean, they've shifted in my mind. I don't know if they've shifted in in, in reality, because what I did is, you know, as you mentioned, the 40s, pollsters started looking at this question of what people regret. And then academics picked it up after that. And, And I tried to do this myself by doing my own very large public opinion poll, trying to get at what people regret. And for years, the answer was people regret a lot of stuff. And then the next, you know, next decade, oh, people regret a lot of stuff. They regret stuff about their careers. They regret stuff about finances. They regret stuff about health. They regret stuff about romance. They were stuff about of their family. I felt like if I did the poll, my own poll correctly, I would crack the code. And what I found is that people regret a lot of stuff. Um, I didn't get the answer. But then I real then I did something else, which was ended up being revelatory, which was that I also, along with doing a quantitative public opinion poll about American attitudes on regret, I collected regrets from 16,000 people in 105 countries. It was a giant qualitative sample. And what I discovered there was something else, that I had been asking the wrong question and looking for the answer in the wrong place, that mm. otherwise I was perfect, you know, because <laughs> <So, laughs> no, what was going on is like it wasn't about the domains of life. It was about this layer beneath the domains of life. It was sort of a hidden architecture of human motivation and aspiration. And and that proved to be revelatory because I found that around the world, people kept regretting the same four things. I know you have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to you. There's a great business idea out there, which is to start a travel agency serving Americans who went to college, didn't study abroad and regret it. I was shocked at how often this came up as a regret for people, Americans mm-hmm. who graduated from college. Oh, if only I'd studied abroad. I wish I'd studied abroad. I really blew it. I should have studied abroad. So that's an education regret. Then I have, it's amazing, just hundreds of regrets from around the world that are essentially regrets that say, X years ago, I met a man slash woman who I really liked. I wanted to ask him her out on a date but I didn't because I was too chicken and I've regretted it ever since. That's By the way, name. this part totally blew my mind. I what was you, shocked because you, I was like, how, I can't believe it was. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, that is shocking to me. First of all, I guess because I'm the kind of person who is very goes for it a little bit, but okay. also I'm also the kind of person who's like, I would never look back about that. Mm. I don't know why. I, I feel like I'm more in the camp of I regret that I did something that hurt you. That's the thing that gets me nuts. So the idea of like, because I always think like, whatever. So like I might've been with that person and then the, you know, she would have driven me crazy and we would have gotten divorced anyway. Yeah. 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 But what's interesting is that, is that a lot of people are nagged by the what if question. They're not necessarily Mm. saying, oh, this would have worked out great. I would have had like this, this blissful life. I think what really nags them is not knowing. And also, I think that also looking at themselves and realizing that unlike you, they didn't step up. 
So that's a, mm-hmm. that's a romance regret. Okay, so so think about those two regrets, and then we also have a lot of regrets about people who wanted to start a business and didn't start a business and instead mm-hmm. stayed in a lackluster job. So that's a career regret. But the three regrets that we're talking about, to my mind, they're the same regret. It's the regret of if only I'd taken the chance. And and one of the things that you see over and over again is that people find themselves at a juncture in their lives. They can play it safe. They can take the chance. And when they don't take the chance, not always, but often they regret it. And it doesn't matter the domain of life. It could be dating. It could be traveling. It could be careers. And that's one of the big four regrets. If only I'd taken the chance, a boldness regret. And each Mm. of these core regrets, I think, reveal something about what we want out of life. And, And I think these boldness regrets reveal that what we want out of life is we, we want to do something. We, you know, we want to live. We want to grow. We want to have psychologically rich lives. I do think, and here I'm going sort of a little bit beyond the own evidence that I've collected, but I've maintained that the fact that human beings are the only species, at least we know of, that are conscious of their mortality plays a role in everything and a lot of what we do. We know we're not here forever. We know our time is finite. And when we have that, even that vague sense of the shot clock ticking down, we want to do something. And when we don't do it, it feels terrible. All right. We've got a whole nother part of this interview tomorrow. If you've got financial questions or you've got regrets and you want to share them with us and you want some help walking through your next best choices in your life, your financial life, that is, give us a holler. Go to JillOnMoney.com. Click the Contact Us button and we'll get your message. Don't forget to make sure whether or not you're willing to come on the program. You check that box at the bottom of the form. Do lift someone up today. Grit, growth, grace. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.